Welcome to Committing Faith in Public, a podcast for people who want to be inspired by individuals and communities of faith, working for a more just, kind, and hospitable society. Through the stories our guests tell, we want to encourage you to commit your faith in public, too. I'm Gary Palusa-Verdand, Executive Director of the Center for Religion and Public Life at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My guest today is the Reverend Victoria Lors. On her website, Victoria describes herself this way. Victoria Lors is a wild church pastor and eco-spiritual director and co-founder of several transformation-focused organizations focused on the integration of nature and spirituality. She feels most alive when collaborating with mystery and kindred spirits to create opportunities for people to remember, that's re-member, themselves back into intimate, sacred relationship with the rest of the living world. After 20 years as a pastor of indoor churches, she launched the first Church of the Wild in OJ, California, and began to meet others with the same sense of call to leave building and expand the beloved community beyond our own species. She then co-founded the Ecumenical Wild Church Network. She's co-founder and director of Seminary of the Wild, which is focused on a deep-dive, year-long eco-ministry certificate program for all those who feel called by earth and spirit to restore the great conversation, as Thomas Berry says. She's the author of the recently published Church of the Wild, How Nature Invites Us into the Sacred. Uh, Reverend Loris is one of the speakers this year at Phillips Remind and Renew event, January 25th to 27th. Registration is open now on the seminary's website. And the title of Reminding We Knew this year is The Art of Ritual, Cultivating Practices for Community. Victoria Lors, welcome to Committing Faith in Public. Thank you so much. What a privilege to be here. Uh, it's really great to have you here. Um, for people who probably don't know a lot about your work yet, even though I did see and, and I was uh, uh, call out your mention on uh, one of Richard Rohr's daily devotionals recently, he, he did uh, uh, cite your work, which I thought was great. Tell us some about your work, and, and how do you describe what you do? Tell us a little bit about Wild Church Pastor, Eco-Spiritual Director, and that kind of thing. What that means. <laughs> yeah, what that means. Yeah, it's it's a little easier to just tell it in narrative form, a little bit of my sure. story. As you read in the bio, I was a pastor for many years, and in fact, the focus of my work was rituals that bring about um, transformation. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to, from the beginning, I took jobs where I could focus on things like creating interactive labyrinths and mid-rashes mm-hmm. about going deeply into scripture and centering prayer and, and retreats and things like that, because I really always felt like I don't want to talk about God. I want to facilitate the direct experience of God for people. And that's yeah, what yeah. I felt my role as a pastor was. And First, first order theology rather than second order. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so um, after doing that for several years, I, I found that um, they were the things that I created were cool and appreciated by people for the most part. But, but the transformation I was longing for didn't mm-hmm. seem to be really deeply happening. Hmm. And, um, and it led to a bit of a burnout, to make a long story short. Mm-hmm. And I ended mm-hmm. up leaving church leadership and the church really going to church. I left completely for about seven years. Um, and during that time, I started a, uh, a a nonprofit with my son that was focused on climate, you know, young people mm-hmm. who were concerned mm-hmm. about the climate crisis, 
And my son became sort of like what Greta is now 15 years mm -hmm. ago. And we spent a wow. lot of time traveling and talking about the impact of the crisis on the next generation and on the youngest generation. And that was after, you know, my first job out of uh, seminary was I worked with uh, evangelical relief and development organization called World Vision. Mm -hmm. And I was a uh, um, director of research and policy development at that there. And mm -hmm. The biggest project I had was the whole time I was pregnant with my son, I researched and wrote a kit that was sent to 50,000 evangelical churches called Let the Earth Be Glad. It was helping churches see that um, caring for the rest of the natural world was part of our heritage. It wasn't something that is a liberal agenda or um, you know anything like that. It was something that was deeply rooted in our not just our spiritual life, but in our biblical stories. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was moving. I was working to move people from dominion or domination kind right, of theology right. or or worldview into a worldview of stewardship. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, thirty years ago, right. <laughs> almost. Um, and so bef before the current polarization uh, around right. such issues, <laughs> before I even yeah, came even yeah. worse. Right. Um, but then, then in in that seven years of kind of burnout from from the church. Uh, and, and going into supporting my son, my son's really who's the one who, when he was 12, started this organization. And, wow. um, and I found myself in a place where I could support him. And, um, but then even that led to burnout <laughs> because mm -hmm. as we were doing this impossible work of, of raising awareness that you can never measure and a CO2 level uh, in the atmosphere that keeps going up no matter how many millions mm -hmm. of dollars are poured into advocacy programs, um, mm -hmm. especially for young people who feel so much enthusiasm and we're, we're encouraging them to speak out. They have a, they have a natural, you know, sort of optimism that we mm -hmm. can do this. But once mm -hmm. they get to a certain age, like my son did, it leads to a, a significant burnout and even depression. Mm -hmm. And I hit that as well. And so I basically hit burnout both in the church and in the environmental movement. And in that emptiness, in that time of, you know, what is, what is missing here? What am I missing? Um, I, f I recognized and began to realize that what was missing is a deep, intimate connection from the very beings and places that we are working so hard to protect, mm, <laughs> both mm -hmm. within the church to raise awareness and within the, the climate movement. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to look into my own uh, tradition, into the Christian, Judeo-Christian, you know, tradition and stories and biblical stories. And and I, I was asking myself, do, these are two separate worlds that, you know, sort of in the church, we learn how to pray. And in mm -hmm. the environmental movement, we learn how to mm. kind of go into the mountains. But Jesus went into the mountains to pray <laughs> every mm. single time, yep. every single time. And so we, you know, there's, we're missing something by keeping them separate. And so I started to research and go, oh my gosh, every single story of every biblical leader was led into the wilderness in one way or another by God. That has mm -hmm. to mean something more than what I preached for years of like a wilderness time, a tough time. A, mm -hmm. um, it has mm -hmm. to have something to do with the actual soil, the actual trees, the actual rivers. And the more I researched it, the more I went, oh, my God, the more I realized I, it was an awakening that mm -hmm. all of these stories are here. We just didn't mm -hmm. have eyes to see them. Mm 
And so as that awakening was happening, I began to, um, I was preaching and I was an associate pastor for a few years um, in Ojai, um, California. And um, I kept preaching about all these different, these different things. And finally, when I was ready to leave that church, a group of people gathered around me and said, that church you've been talking about that's not in buildings, that's out in wilderness, like, do that. <laughs> I said mm. to them, that, I'm just making that up. That's heretical. I can't do that. And, um, and finally just surrendered and said, all right, we're going to go out into the edges of our, you know, village of Ojai, where there's, a, there's thousands of acres, hundreds of thousands of acres of, of, of national forest, all of mm. which was burnt in 2017, by the way. Wow. And begin to create spiritual practices mm. within the Christ tradition that, that honor our relationship with the natural world and basically resacralize it through ritual. Mm. Um, through creating practices, spiritual practices that reconnect us with the natural world as sacred. Mm. So, you know, fr and then from that, uh, began to meet others from other mm. denominations who had mm -hmm. done the same exact thing. And so within three months, I started to meet other pastors throughout North America and in England, actually, and realized that this was something bigger than this crazy little thing that I was doing. <laughs> But it was a work of spirit because I, and within about nine months, we started the Wild Church Network, which now has thousands of people who are uh, from multiple denominations who are starting wild churches. They have mm. different names for them and different practices yeah. within, within that. But the, but the core hope and, and um, the core ritual is really reconnecting with the sacred in the rest of the natural world. I love what Richard Rohr says, and I remember, I've heard this my whole life, really, <laughs> that he says, you know, how you love one stone is how you love all things. And I like mm -hmm. could go, yeah, that seems right. But mm -hmm. like, actually, mm -hmm. how do you love a stone? <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And, right. So, and, so, and so that actually matters, you know, how we other the natural world and call it it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And how mm -hmm. it is the same way we other other people. The same mm. way we desacralize uh, other races, other people who aren't us. So mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. really, you know, and then we started the, the Seminary of the Wild to go deeper with people to have this new lens on the Judea Christian story. But it's fascinating how many people who aren't from the Christ tradition come to Seminary mm -hmm. of the Wild. They're, they're drawn to this Christian mysticism. And all mysticism means is that it's, it's, um, greeting god greeting the sacred directly instead of again instead of talking about god it's mm -hmm. um, being in relationship with god directly and mm -hmm. somehow mysteriously the natural world is part of that so by severing the natural world from our spirituality not only obviously has a really negative impact on the world as we've seen in the climate crisis in deforestation and all those kind of things you have to desacralize something in order to take its you know, in order to mm -hmm. treat it mm -hmm. with that kind mm -hmm. of disrespect. I would guess that the ecumenical alignment, uh, the par ecumenical participants in this kind of venture does not necessarily resemble what has been the traditional ecumenical movement. I would say, yeah, you know, um, when you, if you think about Christianity as a circle, you know, which is just a construct, mm -hmm. a model to imagine right, it. Right. Um, I would say the people who are starting to, to connect with this, who are starting to wake up to the reality that um, 
that God is in all things. <laughs> we can mm-hmm. say those, but like actually to live that and create live practices that, right? and, mm-hmm. and do that work of reconnection um, are on the edges are on the edges, you know, sort of the inside edge. They don't want to leave the Christian tradition, but they've experienced the sacred. They've experienced numinous presence. They've experienced God in nature. And I think a lot of people have, but we just don't have language. And we sort of have language for disconnection to say, mm. oh, God's not in a tree or that's pantheism mm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but so we don't have that language. We don't have that permission. And by keeping that separate, you know, we feel like I don't fit into Christianity anymore, but I can't really leave because it's still my tradition. I still, mm-hmm. I still love God. I love Jesus. I love the community. I love so much about the church, but I just can't, I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. And so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they can't quite leave and they can't quite, right. and people have, or people have left for similar right. reasons and can't quite stay away. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so it's right, people on right. both sides of these edges, which, which is where the mystics are, you know, within every mm-hmm. tradition, mm-hmm. within every tradition. I was at a, a conference many years ago that was faith and spirit, and it was interfaith. And so there were mystics from within all the different traditions. And I think Cynthia Bourgeau was the representative from within the Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that we had more in common, all of the participants and the leaders with each other in this mystical kind of relationship with God than we did with the rest of the people within our own traditions. So mm-hmm. I think that's it's that contemplative mystical edge of the tradition that people are waking up and really hearing, like, you know, hearing a call from God and from Earth herself mysteriously. Um, to mm-hmm. to act on that, to act on that, mm-hmm. and create these rituals and spiritual practices that reconnect us with the rest of the alive world. Yeah, let's talk a little bit. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about ritual. Um, when we use that word, what are we talking about? Uh, and uh, if you can give some examples, both from within uh, the kind of work you do, and 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 maybe also uh, from our public life. Uh, you know, when we say ritual, what do we mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ritual is basically, and I'm sure you could talk more about this than me. This is more, um, this is something I think that you've deeply, um, invested in, but, um, all human cultures have rituals. Uh, They're typically like these, there are practices that, um, what I would say, I haven't really read this or anything, but what I would say it's, Practices of reconnection, which is the core etymological meaning of religion, religios. Uh, mm-hmm. Religios, mm-hmm. like a ligament, is the connector between. And so mm-hmm. I think the purpose of religion is to reconnect. And, mm-hmm. um, and just an aside, often religion acts as the exact opposite, as you know, almost like disligion, to disconnect. But the true meaning of religion and the true role of, tradition, of, of religion is to reconnect. And so um, rituals are practices of, of reconnection. And so to me, it's like practices of reconnecting with the larger story of God, the larger meaning of what life is, is what, of what our human, our individual human lives are mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. about, and to mark, to slow down. Ritual is like that practice of slowing down and recognizing and, and, and um, sacralizing, making sacred these moments of transition of growth. So there's a lot of practices of um, ritual within the church, like baptism, you know, an mm-hmm. action mm-hmm. of an mm-hmm. activity of reconnecting with 
the community of saying this child or this adult is saying I'm I'm part of this community. I'm reconnecting. Um, mm-hmm. There's a whole part of baptism that I'd love to talk about uh, um, that we've kind of forgotten about baptism as a reconnection with the actual river. Um, uh, being baptized mm-hmm. into the river as Jesus was, and into is um, the Greek word is ice, um, which is a different word mm-hmm. than n, mm-hmm. which is in locational, is in the river. John the Baptist baptized all of the all the people in the river to show that it was in the actual river. But Jesus was baptized into the river, which is a relational word, and so he was mm-hmm. baptized, in, and then he was sent mm-hmm. into the wilderness. And that's a relational word. And Jesus went into the wilderness to pray every time it was ice. And so it's a relational word. It's a, it's a reconnection of relationship. So mm-hmm. um, in the church, you know, marriage is another ritual. Uh, sure. The wedding is a ritual of, of connection and reconnection with, uh, you know, um, another particular person, but the masculine and the feminine. In a culture of patriarchy, it it's actually can be a really beautiful ritual of, of reconnection. Communion is a sure. it's a ritual of of reconnection with the body of Christ, with the body of of Jesus. And in in our and what happens with rituals is um, they're repeated so often that that sometimes they lose their meaning, <laughs> and then they become mm-hmm. a social ritual. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and people still practice it without even really recognizing why. Like saying the Lord's Prayer in church every Sunday. <laughs> like that, or the Pledge of Allegiance um, sometimes mm-hmm. is, is that. You forget why you're doing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. and um, Or even just like, uh, you know, a, a common cultural ritual is, hi, how are you? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just a ritual of, of greeting. But it's interesting how rituals sort of, when they lose their meaning, then people start to get uncomfortable. And they recognize we need, we need new rituals. And so, um, you know, here's a really mundane example of hi, how are you? I'm, I'm just noticing in, in my community that that ritual is people are starting to recognize that doesn't really mean anything. Hi, how are you? Fine. How are you? And they're mm-hmm. starting to get uncomfortable with it. I found myself starting to get uncomfortable with it many years ago, but something I just noticed in my community is, I don't know if this is everywhere, but like the, um, you know, bank tellers, coffee shop, you know, people, baristas and, People who work in the grocery store, the clerk, <clears throat> instead of like, hi, how you doing? Oh, good. How are you? It's more like, <laughs> I hear, so what are your plans for this weekend? <laughs> right. You know, right. have you there too? Isn't <laughs> I, I, that yes, interesting? Also, yes. Yeah, Fascinating yeah. how rituals change. Like, I think what there was a, a recognition that this ritual doesn't work anymore. Let's develop some new huh, that are actually allowing us to reconnect. And, um, and so, that's how I feel about um, creating these new rituals in reconnecting with, with God in all things, mm-hmm. with reconnecting with God in creation um, is important in this moment of, of um, you know, ecological disaster. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, and, and I would think that uh, the kind of work you're doing uh, uh, would also include the addresses in some way the distinction between uh, Time and place. Um, yeah. one of the, in, in reading Vine Deloria some some time back, you know, I really he he makes a major point of how in Native spirituality, Native American spiritualities, it's more about place, yeah, uh, and uh, than it is about time. And and a lot of us raised in the Christian tradition, I would say, especially for Protestants, 
you know, that's we were raised in the, in the you know, the Heilsgeschichte, the, 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 the salvation history. Uh, and, and we locate ourselves in this historical timeline and even mm-hmm. the, and from a secular perspective, the, you know, the narrative of progress. Uh, there was that right. before, which was, you know, unevolved and primitive. And then we're moving to more developed and all that kind of thing. But, uh, it was in particular, uh, in the last year when I discovered, uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer's mm. book, Braiding Sweetgrass, yeah. uh, where it's, it's really about, uh, uh, ritual about the connecting with place, mm-hmm. um, that is very, you know, and, and at least in the kind of Christianity I've been in most of my life, mm-hmm. I'm a United Methodist, um, uh, where we, we talk a whole lot more about ritual as connection to, history than we do about ritual as connection to place. And right. when you're talking about that Brilliant. immersion in the creation uh, and in places in creation and loving a stone, it seems like uh, you'd be dealing some with rituals that really help us get into, uh, have a relationship with place. Yes, absolutely. That's a brilliant connection. Um, I hadn't even really thought about until being invited into this um, into this podcast and this uh, conference you have that we have really just been so displaced um, as a culture, and and I think there's empire reasons why. You know, it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I said about you know you can't cut down a forest without respect unless you desacralize it, mm-hmm. and the, our history of empire that we kind of skip over some of that. You know, we're starting to reckon with it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, needed throughout history. There's a really um, a difficult book to read, "Saving Paradise" um, by Brock mm-hmm. and Parker. You know, that that mm-hmm. really brings to life mm-hmm. how the Christian tradition was disconnected from place and paradise as life as life on earth. Really, didn't come around until like the ninth century. Um, but there was a you know there's a Roman Empire agenda to deforest to you know uh, take over and um, and and they needed to disconnect people from their religious practices in place. And they, mm-hmm. they actually moved people out of place. You know, we did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, European colonizers did that in, in the United States and in Canada. And, um, and removing people from place, there was an agenda behind it. And so it's a real um, act of, of uh, reformation to reconnect with place because it's written all in our sacred scriptures. It's mm-hmm. all there, that deep connection with place, all the metaphors. You can't even understand it. I love the work of Gary Paul Nabhan, who, who mm. does a lot of research in, in reconnecting uh, the biblical stories with place. Place. And as we reconnect with our place, um, we recognize, you know, I think there's also an epidemic, um, an epidemic, a pandemic of loneliness in our country. Mm-hmm. And that loneliness is not only disconnection from community, from people, it's also a, our reckoning with our disconnection with place. And part of that reckoning is our, is the history, you know, so I think time right. and place together right. is, right. Uh, is, you know, more and more, um, even indoor churches are doing what outdoor, what, what wild churches do, um, which is begin with a, with a land acknowledgement and acknowledging and doing mm-hmm. the research mm-hmm. and not just saying the words, which that can very easily become a ritual of like acknowledging this is unceded territory of the, of the coast Salish people, for example, but really keep making that alive and, and taking that ritual seriously and reconnecting with the indigenous people in your place and 
and connecting with the geological and the and the grief of you know the deforestation that's happened as a result mm-hmm. of of mm-hmm. Um, our culture, and so that truth and reconciliation movement that's that's much more um, active and and um, alive in Canada than it is the United right. States, but it's right. still hap- it's starting Absolutely. to happen. But just beginning with the truth, the truth of the history of this place um, brings up a lot of grief. But it's only through actual grief, actual rituals of grief, that we mm. can open up that that place for more love. And mm-hmm. so, really, I think it's, you know, the Pascal mystery is built into everything. The life, death, and new life, you know, we have mm-hmm. to enter mm-hmm. into that grief mm-hmm. after, after the Good Friday of... Uh, of death is mm-hmm. is a holy Saturday of grief, and we often skip over that in our in right. in our churches. Right. But really, grief is just such an important um, practice, even as you're reconnecting with your place. And mm-hmm. so, meeting in the same place, you know, out in the land under a particular tree, you know, as we did in Ojai, um, we would meet under this oak tree um, just across the usually dry river. That mm-hmm. was burnt in that mm-hmm. Thomas fire that I mentioned. Um, and mm-hmm. so we had a place to go back to, to see our tree singed and all of the creatures, you know, every week we would bring, after the fire, we would bring uh, singed bones of creatures that had died in terror mm. during that fire. And we, we created a ritual, uh, a ceremony uh, with, with the indigenous, an indigenous leader and a Shinto priest. And we mm. had, um, uh, a Lutheran pastor, and then myself, uh, we had an Ash Wednesday in the Ashes service after that huge mm-hmm. fire and recognized uh, how all the people were impacted, which had been done culturally. You know, we had a lot of, mm-hmm. and in churches, mm-hmm. but nobody uh, except us, as far as I know, recognized the billions of creatures that died in terror in that yeah. 300,000 acre uh, wildfire. Wow. Wow. And so it's these kinds of new rituals that we can create mm-hmm. that, that draw people, you know, there's one thing coming from the, you know, sort of the, the environmental movement, a climate movement, the advocacy kind of thing of just telling people what to do, or even in a, mm-hmm. a pastor telling everybody, you need to, you know, be saved or whatever. Mm-hmm. Actually putting pe- rituals are ways that people can experience, experience uh, this passage that you're wanting to resacralize and slow down and and treat with tenderness and care and honor these mm-hmm. the place the time in your life um those kinds of things so yeah well when you bring up grief um for me grief is one of the uh one of the uh, it's combination of emotion and 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 reconnection and 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 Feeling. I mean, there's just yeah. so much that's a part of that, including the rituals thereof, um, uh, that is related to social repair. Mm. Uh, I think social repair is something that we're 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 I'm not necessarily talking about a lot, but it's 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 all in front of us. Uh, mm-hmm. The the need for it seems all the time, um, and you know, part of it is just we as human beings we hurt each other. Uh, and, uh, that happens both individually and sometimes as we know in our society in any society systemically, um, and in the communities of faith, uh, be- uh, between the, um, uh, pandemic, uh, and, uh, the, 
the um, uh, racial reckoning that uh, some are dealing with better than others, uh, more 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 forthrightly than others. That's th- these are stressors that have been on the one hand around for a very long time, on the other hand, uh, really have become acute uh, at this point in time. Uh, and um, you know, in public life, our nation's experiencing uh, a severe. Uh, uh, conflict, uh, evident and pervasive political and social polarization. Um, so there, th- of course, there have been, uh, there are Christian traditions and practices related to social repair. Um, thinking of uh, prayer and lament and confession and repentance and peacemaking and speaking the truth in love, doing justice, forgiveness, reconciliation. And I'm sure that there are others that all in some ways related to repairing relationships that are strained or broken. Uh, and I'm curious, from your perspective, as one who uh, is thinking creatively about uh, ritual and practicing in ways that are um, maybe uh, uh, cutting edges and maybe quite the right word, but you know, at least it's, it's new turf, it's new territory for a lot of people to, to uh, ritualize in these ways. So what's your perspective on the efficacy of our Christian practices of social repair today? (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't see a whole lot. I see a lot of potential. There's some, there are some, some Christian practices um, that have been offered in the public, in the public realm. I think, um, you know, prayer, public prayer vigils after after public, mm-hmm. you know, violence mm-hmm. are often organized by uh, communities of faith. Yep. There's just so much more. Just like I love just repair of relationship. I think that is the definition of of religion. And mm-hmm. any any place that we can do that, if you know, just having the church be that place of of reconciliation of relationship. Like instead of the opposite, every place that that can happen. Like when I was a pastor, right out of seminary, um, it was in Pasadena, California, and um, the Lake up Lake Avenue on the on the on the what would that be the west side of Lake Avenue? I'm not sure the direction. On one side of Lake Avenue, there were primarily black churches, and on the other side of Lake Avenue was was white churches, and we were the white church on that side of um, of the. Uh, of the, of the street. And so we reached out to the, one of the black churches that were near us. And we said, let's, let's just start, um, let's just start a sister relationship somehow. And we would Mm -hmm. visit each other's churches once a month. And it was a fascinating experience for us to go to, to go to a very different community and just to be part of each other's, Mm -hmm. you know, church life. So it can be very simple things. So I think things are happening. They're very quiet, um, but they're also very loud and and um, groundbreaking. Like for example, the Truth and Reconciliation Movement, uh, which is which is happening more in Canada, like I said. But um, there is, you know, there are public um, acts of you know um, apology, uh, public mm-hmm. declarations mm-hmm. of apology that are that are that are accompanied by uh, ritual. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and then some churches are, are being very radical going beyond like, oh, let's pray that another, you know, sh- public shooting has happened to like, let's actually take some action and do something different. There's a, 
church churches in the United Church of Christ uh, or the United Church of Canada in um, Ontario um, last a couple of years ago ritually gave back a plot of land to the indigenous people from whom the land was originally stolen from. And so there's, you know, acts of uh, ritual of prayer and lament, and then there's action, you know, that mm-hmm. what are the actions we can take in these, you know, that the, the rituals are meant to remember. They're an act of remembering and, and they're meant to, um, lead to action, lead to a change in heart, change in lifestyle, change in relationship. It's really an act of restoring relationship, which takes more than just saying, gee, I'm sorry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and as we're coming to the end of our time here, so I'm also thinking about uh, uh, one of the words uh, used, I think, on your on your website, talking about yourself is is really relating to species. Um, and so, uh, you know, I would assume, and I would ask you to respond to this, I would assume that some of your work you could, you could, um, frame as species repair. Mm, Beautiful. Um, What a great uh, idea. I love that. Yeah. Kind of relate because if you're trying to connect with place, if you're trying to connect with, you know, the, the, the bones of creatures singed in uh, a fire, uh, that may in fact be related to the way we've treated the earth. Um, uh, uh, and I'll, so I would, I would assume that your the ritual work you're doing has got something to do with, with both social repair and species repair. Mm, beautiful. Yes. In fact, in my book, I track my own, my own journey in exactly that. Um, and part of this work is, is, um, treating the other as an, in an I thou sacred, um, relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's it's one thing to treat your you know family and your church members and people you're close to, your friends, as a thou, as a sacred mm-hmm. other. But even mm-hmm. then, we forget, and we and we go into like a type of you know me telling you what to do, not really listening. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so we even struggle with that in our closest relationships. Um, but to treat others outside of our social circles as a thou, as a sacred other, and to really listen to those who are very different than us in a polarized society is a radical act. <laughs> sure know? is. And, right. so, and so learning how to do that with other people um, is a step. And just as Richard Rohr says, how you love a stone is how you love all things. As we treat a, um, one from another species in an I-thou relationship, we do that sometimes with our pets. Um, you know, just honoring what our, mm-hmm, what our dog mm-hmm, needs, mm-hmm, <laughs> letting mm-hmm, them out when mm-hmm. they ask and going on walks because they need it and feeling like you can communicate with them and know what they need. Um, and it's interesting that we think, oh, I, I get that with my dog or my cat, but really with, with a squirrel, <laughs> like that's just crazy. Um, but I had, they just eat my tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Much less your right. tomatoes or the tree. Um, and you know, people look at you sideways when you're like, I had this this intense connection with a spider who looked at me and we looked at each other eye to eye. Like, like you don't tell people that people look at you strange or kind of go, Oh, that's interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's something that is part of the repair of relationship of an intimacy that, um, that if Christ is truly in all things, and if the connection between us is the presence of the sacred, which I believe it is. And that's a whole other uh, podcast. then, then, then I had this relationship with these series of deer in the, um, in the, in the Rocky Mountains where I had the, you know, 
if anyone's ever encountered a deer, you have these staring mm-hmm. things, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was this kind of staring uh, situation where after a very short period of time, within 10 minutes, this one deer looking straight at me, buckled her front legs and then her back legs and laid down. And the same thing happened with three different deers three days in a row. And it was a sacred, in that that process, and I heard within me, I'm with you always. I'm like, okay, I recognize that voice as the voice of God, but it's also somehow related with this encounter with this deer. And it really started to open me up. And it was like one of those mystical kind of experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I started to like pursue deer and go, oh, I'm I'm gonna like apprentice to deer. I'm gonna I'm being <laughs> I'm the deer whisperer, you know, kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. for five years, deer totally evaded me. Everywhere I went, everybody would be like, I saw a deer, I saw a deer. I never did. And then when I moved here to uh, Bellingham, Washington, uh, the day I moved in, after I gave up trying to pursue that relationship, mm-hmm. um, the day I moved in after my friends left, and I and I ran out the front at night. It was it was dark. The front, my front door to return the moving van, I almost tripped over a deer lying down at the bottom of my stairs. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then in that turned into, you know, like these encounters turn into relationship. And so I now, in fact, one of the deers laying down outside of my window right now. Um, and so there's something mysterious about it that I, that I know God isn't part of. Um, and, it's, and so it's that intimacy that's helped me shift my relationship with these other species. Very good. Yeah, and it relates somehow to shifting my relationship with other people and with my Mm -hmm. relationship with myself and with God. Yeah, well, we need to close. Victoria Lortz, thank you so much for joining me today on Committing Faith in Public, and I'm looking forward to hearing you at uh, Remind and Renew, January 25th to 27th at Phillips Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Thank you so much. This was fun. I really appreciate Appreciate it. it. Yep, thanks. Bye-bye. This has been Committing Faith in Public, a podcast from the Center for Religion and Public Life at Phillips Theological Seminary. Copyright Phillips Theological Seminary and Gary Peluso Verdet. The views and opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect official positions of Phillips Theological Seminary.